Welcome to my podcast, mattnews.biz, where I share my personal thoughts and feelings that have been lovingly dubbed Matt News. So it seems that every September, I end up in a circle of people, and we recall when and where we were when the news was released that two planes had struck down the towers of the World Trade Center. I was sitting in my English class during my sophomore year of high school. Um, I don't recall it vividly as everyone else, uh, because I don't place a large significance to the World Trade Center attack. Um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist that claims it was an inside job, but personally, that attack uh, didn't affect me greatly at all. Uh, I didn't know anyone in New York, uh, no friends, no loved ones. Um, I didn't know any of the first responders at the site. I do, however, recognize the significance that the event held in our nation's history and the significance that the site holds for many today. A friend of mine was telling me about the site. Uh, He went and visited it not too long ago, um, and he was telling me about it as it stands currently. He was telling me about the awe and the reverence placed on the area uh, when you visit. Um, The names on the monuments, uh, everything that is representative of the tragedy that struck that day in 2001. To some of us, uh, the site represents vulnerability and disruption of peace. Uh, To others, it represents an escalation with foreign relations, um, lives lost, heroic efforts, fear, revenge, resilience. Uh, The World Trade Center site is considered a place of historic significance, and rightfully so. It disrupted and changed the course of American history. These emotions are evoked at most historic sites for some, and historic sites help us to recall or even evoke these events. Um, Children who grew up knowing about the 9-11 attack but not living through it can only find its significance in the way that history is portrayed and possibly by visiting the site. Uh, It's the way that a lot of us recount history. In America, we can visit battlegrounds of the American Revolution, uh, the Civil War, the Great Depression. All throughout the South, we can visit the sites of historic plantations and walk inside former slave quarters. There is another uh, way that we can recount and perhaps relive history and that's through tradition. But what is the significance of recalling and understanding history? Why do we do these things? Why do we shoot fireworks at the 4th of July? Why do we gather around a tree on Christmas? And that's so we don't forget. So what I want to do is I want to recount this story from the Gospel of Luke and look at an interpretation of the events recalled in the text. So in Luke chapter 24, starting In verse 13, Luke is reprising an account of two disciples just after Jesus' death and burial. The two disciples are making their way to a village not too far from Jerusalem. And here is how the story goes. It starts in Luke 24, 13. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. So let's sit here for one second. We have two disciples, and they are on their way to a village called Emmaus. Now, one thing I'm learning from my time meditating on the Bible is that these documents were crafted for the purpose of convincing the reader to take the message of the good news to heart. So as the writers craft these gospels, they're very intentional with every detail added. So when I see the name of a city, I know that there is a reason that that name is there. We see that these disciples were making their way to Emmaus. So what's important about Emmaus? 
almost 200 years before Jesus would start his ministry, a Greek-speaking um, solicited king named Antiochus IV Epiphanes would rule over the providence of Judea from 175 BC to 164 BC. Um, he would impose Hellenism on the territories he ruled and forbid the practice of Judaism. Uh, so in 167 BC, a priest known by the name Matthias would defy Antiochus's decree as recorded in 1 Maccabees 2.22. It says, quote, We will not obey the king's decree and we will not change our way of worship in the least, end quote. Now, I do want to note that uh, 1 Maccabees, most Christian denominations do not hold Maccabees as Holy Scripture. However, we can consider it a work of historical significance as a piece of Second Temple literature that would have been circulating and been known during the time of Jesus and his disciples. Um, now, after Matthias' death, uh, his son Judah Maccabee took the mantle as leader and began what is now known as the Maccabean Revolt. And one of the battles from that revolt was the Battle of Emmaus. So this battle is recorded in 1 Maccabees 3.55 through 4.25. Judah, splitting his forces up and ambushing the Greek Cilicid forces and gaining the victory in 166 BC, leading the Jewish people to believe that they had effectively began the withdrawal of the Greek Empire from Judea. However, the Greeks recuperate and they overtake the Jewish revolt later on. So what's the significance of all this? Why, like all this is a backstory to give us just a little piece, a little glimpse of what's going on here uh, with these two disciples going on the road to Emmaus. So the Battle of Emmaus was considered one of the greatest victories ever by a man that was considered one of Israel's greatest military leaders. Every Jew that, was, that, that in Jesus' time would have known about the Battle of Emmaus, and they themselves would have considered this a victory, and they would have also considered Judah Maccabee to be a great military leader. So you have these two disciples who are heading to a town that would be considered the equivalent to Gettysburg for Americans, a town of great historical significance going down in history as one of the greatest victories. And what were they doing? It says in verse 14, quote, together they were discussing everything that had taken place. So these two disciples were talking about Jesus' arrest, uh, his death, and his burial uh, because they had only heard reports of the resurrection. They didn't, uh, they didn't see it firsthand, and you can kind of tell that they didn't know if they should believe it or not. So um, at this time, the resurrected Jesus walks up to them and asks them, hey, uh, what are you guys talking about? And here Luke writes that the disciples didn't recognize Jesus and states, uh, quote, their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So one thing I want to point out here is that the text does not say that the Lord prevented them, but only that their own eyes prevented them from seeing uh, Jesus or recognizing Jesus. So the disciples respond to Jesus. Uh, they respond to this stranger. They say, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened in these days? That's verse 18. And Jesus responds, uh, what things? Like, well, what's going on? Like, you tell me. It's only been, <clears throat> now it's only been a few days, uh, but they fill Jesus in anyways. They tell Jesus about what's been going on. And they say, quote, the things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all people. And then verse 20, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. Verse 21, but 
But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. So Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet and powerful, he was sentenced to death by the leaders and priests. But, but, the two disciples say, we were hoping he was going to be the one. We were hoping he was going to be the one that would end the occupation in Jerusalem forever. And then it continues in verse 21. Um, Besides all this, it's the third day since these things had happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. And then in verse 25, he said to them, How unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all of scriptures. So Jesus is talking to them as a stranger, and he gets frustrated at their lack of understanding of just basic of scripture of what scripture was pointing to. Um, you know, it's kind of like Jesus was saying, "Oh my gosh, you guys, are you that dim? Are you that dumb? Don't you understand that the Messiah was supposed to suffer, and he was supposed to enter into glory?" And your interpretation of who the Messiah is is wrong. Again, here, here they are, you know, in verse 22, they said, you know, moreover, you know, um, uh, some women came to the group, came to us, and they said um, they didn't find his body. His body was gone. And they reported that they had seen visions of angels and that he was alive. But the other disciples went there and saw that he wasn't there. They didn't see him. They didn't see anything. And they say all of this right after saying, you know, we thought he was the one. We thought he was the one, but it's been three days since he died. And so they go, they, they pack up their stuff, and they travel to Emmaus, this town that's basically the, the, the World Trade Center area for them. See, the traditional view of the Messiah, um, and these beliefs are, are still held today, that he will be a great uh, political leader, he will be charismatic, and he will be a great military leader who will win battles for Israel. So you have these two disciples, and they're, and they're on their way to Emmaus because the guy who they thought was the one, the guy who they thought was this Messiah, this political leader who was charismatic and was going to be a great military leader, was handed over and is dead. And it's been three days. And now his body is missing. So then they make it to the village, right? And they are about to part ways. And still not recognizing Jesus, still not knowing that this is Jesus, they invite this person for dinner and a sleepover. You know, they invite him to stay the night with them and eat dinner with them. So the story continues, quote, It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then verse 31, Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Now, what does that remind you of? What do those, those verses remind you of? The Last Supper here in Luke. It says, When the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. And said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus was giving them the Lord's Supper, 
he was reenacting that Passover meal, which this is still considered Passover season at this time. And that's when they recognized him. That's when their eyes were open. See, they had lost hope. And they were going back to remember one of the greatest military leaders of Israel because this Jesus guy, who they thought was the next military leader, wasn't. But that's because their understanding of who the Messiah was supposed to be was skewed. And it was only when they were brought to a better understanding of what they were looking for, and then the act of remembrance through the breaking of bread, and that Jesus had had to suffer, did they recognize him. There's a few things I want to say here. One is the power of rituals, traditions, and history. One of the quotes I used to hear a lot as a kid was, um, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And I think that we've lost that a little bit. We've lost the importance of history. Another thing is the importance of locations and liturgy and remembrance. They're important tools for us to keep us aware of the past. To my second point is the power of the past to give us hope looking forward. So a friend posted on social media about uh, the tradition of Groundhog's Day and uh, her hopes of when uh, our generation uh, fully, quote, take over, you know, it will dissipate, like Groundhog's Day will end. But what is the purpose of Groundhog's Day? That It, it made me start thinking, like, what's the purpose of Groundhog's Day? Because I, I actually like Groundhog's Day. I think it's a good um, tradition to have. It's a goofy tradition, but it's there to facilitate something. It's there to facilitate, to remind us that spring is coming. It gives us hope that the winter will actually end. It's a great tradition to have. So the disciples had a historical place of remembrance that would give them hope, but it gave them hope in the wrong thing. I wanted to make this point. I didn't write it down in my notes here, but I wanted to make this point is that every election cycle, we put our, we, we put our hope in this tradition. We put our hope in the next leader that we vote for. And a lot of people believe that it's all rigged and that um, you're going to get whoever you're going to get. But the thing is, is you'll hear it a lot that this is the most important election. That's what they said at the last election. That's what they said at the election before that and the election before that. And I remember this last election, I didn't vote for either of the two top candidates. I didn't vote for either one because I had no hope in either one. And this last election, 2016, had no significance in my life whatsoever because I knew, I knew that I can't put my hope in these people. I can't put my hope in these leaders who literally do the same thing that the last leader did. And we were, you know, and, and, and you would think that, well, you're going from Democrat to Republican, things are going to change. And we all knew that when Trump was going in, he wasn't like, a, he wasn't a real Republican. But then you say things like, when you say things like that, oh, well, he's not like a real Republican. All the Republicans are behind him and going behind him. So there's no, there's no party lines here, man. Like, don't get mistaken with party lines. You're all wrong. You're all wrong. And you're all fooled by the system. And that's what happened with these disciples. They had this historic site and they, you know, Judah Maccabee was probably seen as a Messiah in the day that he was there. We have this story and everybody was considering him like Judah Maccabee is the, this great leader that led a great victory. And let's go back to that town. And let's remember him. Because he did great things. We thought it was going to be Jesus, 
but Jesus didn't turn out to do it. So let's go back and remember this and let's hope. Let's go back to this town and hope that another leader will come. So Jesus brings them back to remembrance through the Lord's Supper and corrects the place where they should find their hope. He corrects the place that they should find their hope. And I think that's what we need to do today. Let's not negate history. Let's not negate tradition. Let's not negate liturgy. I I see it a lot of churches today. A lot of churches want to be the next big thing, which is weird for churches to do in general. But you have these churches that want to um, entice people to come, but they forget that they're going. These people are going to church. Like if they're in your building, they know what you are. They know that you're a church. So don't negate the liturgy so you don't appear churchy. That's kind of what they're there for. I've actually seen a new wave, a new wave of young adults, you know, people that are um, in their mid-30s and uh, younger that are actually drawn to liturgy. And you find, like, I I know a few friends that are going to Episcopal churches and uh, Anglican churches. They're going to those churches to find tradition and to find to find the things that let them know that they're in a church because that's what they're there for. That's what they're going there for. And I'm not saying that um, all traditions don't have their hang-up. I'm not saying that all traditions, um, you know, some of them are, you know, aren't like the best. You know, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that when we forget, that's when we lose focus, when we forget. And that's why I titled this episode, this is episode 17, I titled it, Lest We Forget. If we forget, lest we forget, it opens the door to repeating the same mistakes that we've made before. So if you like this episode, uh, I urge you to subscribe. Please subscribe. Um, I'm on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, and so I think I'm on other podcast platforms. Um, this this podcast, I'm doing it super grass, grass rootsy. Um, I'm not using any kind of website. I'm going through all kinds of loopholes, so like I really don't have a way to track it. So please subscribe to my podcast. It's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and you can just look on whatever podcast player you use and see if you can subscribe. Also, if you go to Apple Podcasts and even Google Podcasts and leave a rating, and even leave a um, you know a, a review that helps out that helps people find the podcast a little bit easier, um, especially like w- with specific podcasts you can go and just like like it and subscribe and such and such and such and blah 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 blah. Anyways, uh, so make sure uh, to join me next time as we explore more Matt news. <laughs> <laughs>